Welcome to this podcast series on neo-charismatic leadership with author, leadership expert and coach, Dr. Gada Angawi and executive leader, Martin Headley, where they will both explore the recently published book, Neo-Charismatic Leadership and the coaching topics it covers. Hello, everyone. Today we have a very special episode, and it's the first one in our English series where we introduce and interview a new charismatic leader to you. Our guest today is from the Middle East, a female leader in a prominent organization in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and a wife and mother of three. But before Martin properly introduces her, I would like to say why I chose her to be our first new charismatic leader. Female Arab leaders are rising and proving themselves as a major contributor to the economy even as the Middle East goes through the pandemic challenge. In fact, hosting the G20 in Saudi Arabia, the level of female leaders' participants is at its peak of 53%, having a female leader who is not just that, but also known for her ethical positions and moral values in the workplace, is an honor to us. I will now let Martin introduce Lara Khirallah to you. Thank you, Khada. So today we are fortunate to be joined by Lara Hirala, and she is the Corporate Strategy Director at Saudi Air Navigation Services, which is based in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. She's primarily responsible for overseeing SANS's massive transformation as it fulfills its role under the Kingdom's Vision 2030. She started as, as a manager in SANS and after only a year was uh, promoted to the role of director. She enjoys leading strong, independent team players who uphold a high level of integrity and ethics. So welcome, Lara. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to uh, exchange and discuss about leadership. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I would like also to add that Lara graduated from George Mason University in Virginia with a degree in Decision Sciences and Management Information System and a minor in Information Technology. So uh, I would love to ask my first question because I've been waiting for this. For me, as a researcher, I'm always intrigued by the past and the circumstances that have contributed to a leader being where they are at the moment. So if you can, Lara, tell us a little bit about the signposts in your life that made you who you are, role models, situations, anything really that you feel brought you here. Sure. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ghada. Um, I think any, I think we're starting off with a very fully loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, I think we can, we can spend an entire session just talking about, you know, what builds a leader. Um, so I'll try to make it short or I'll try to start at the beginning. Cause I think, you know, there's always a beginning to, 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 uh, you know, getting your, the, the right fit for your professional kind of profile and, and then kind of developing your leadership skills. So, um, and it, the obvious answer is, is the upbringing and how you were, you know, how you were brought up and the influences that your, you know, your family, your parents and your environment had. And I think for me, really, my parents were the greatest role models, um, both at home and, and I think in their, in their own work, uh, life. And I don't think I necessarily recognized those characteristics at a young age, but it, 
definitely shaped me uh, in ways that I wouldn't have recognized back then. And I think obviously, uh, unconsciously, I started to uh, mimic those characteristics uh, 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 as a young, you know, as a young uh, uh, individual kind of growing up. And so if I take my father, for example, he was a man with really high integrity and, and I would say unwavering values, even if um, even if it, if it meant that he would miss out on an opportunity, if it stood against his, uh, moral values, uh, he, it didn't matter to him. It, it always had to kind of fall into that, uh, uh, category and area. So, um, this is something that I still hold onto very tightly today. And, and I actually see myself, uh, uh, carrying that kind of value as well in, in my day to day, be it in my personal life or even my professional life. Um, so that's my father. Uh, there's a lot to say about him, but I think that maybe is probably the, the largest uh, um, uh, contribution to who I am today. Um, mm. And then from my mother's side, you know, she was she was a stay at home mom for most of my life. And, and she decided that she wanted to start working later on in life. And I thought that that was a very interesting transition. Uh, not many people do that. Uh, um, you know, a lot of people have this kind of stigma against working at a much later uh, uh, time in their life. And and she did it. And she navigated through her workplace, uh, honestly, like a pro. Um, she was in no time she was, the, she, you know, she went into teaching. And so in no time, she was the favored teacher among the students. She was the favored employee among the staff. And for someone who had never really worked and, uh, and was able to achieve that kind of success and recognition, I think is, is really Im impressive. And it, and it left an impression on me that, you know, there is no, uh, uh, you know, that stigmas are there as stigmas. They're not, they're a figment almost of your imagination, right? And, and you only make it a reality if you really believe in it. Yeah. So, so for me, I had, you know, these two wonderful individuals, uh, who brought me up. And, and, and really kind of led their lives through example and by example. And so, uh, the way that they treated me, I think, and the way that they kind of, uh, um, uh, managed my upbringing is, is one that I, I, I think I cherish and I try to replicate that with my own children. Um, and it's that they really cater to my character while raising me. So it wasn't, you know, this is the law and you have to follow it. It, they, they kind of worked with me and they saw at an early, uh, point in my life that I was, quite responsible and independent, uh, uh, interestingly enough, for, for, for the age that I was. And so, you know, I think obviously it's a reflection of my parents, but they encouraged it and they allowed me to kind of expand and kind of open up in that area. Um, and so I think, you know, at the age of 15, uh, I reached out to them and I said, listen, you know, I want to work. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm ready to work, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, was, uh, I was in high school and I really wanted to, uh, uh, to just dabble and see what, you know, this, this, you know, world looks like and, and what it means to an individual considering you're going to be spending, I don't know, decades of your life doing it. Um, and it wasn't very common in our community, honestly. I mean, I know that it's very common in the U.S. and that's where I grew up, but in our small community, it wasn't very common for, for you know, teenagers to work, you know, the, their responsibilities towards studying, uh, towards, you know, school activities, towards socializing, but not so much about, like, necessarily uh, working. But, you know, it didn't phase them and they actually... Kind of encouraged it, uh, um, and and that's how I started. I started working at the age of fifteen. I took a job, um, and for me, my mindset around uh, uh, this first job and the jobs uh, after that was really not about you know trying to understand the value of money, which is what a lot of parents 
would like for their children to do when they take on first jobs. You know, what's the value of money and you need to understand that. But for me, it was more about uh, um, what I can get. What kind of experience can I gain from that, from that, uh, uh, from that job? And, and for me, financially, it was already a given. It was, it was, it was part of the equation, right? You know, you take a job, you obviously get paid for it. So it wasn't something that was a driver for me. And I, I already valued money anyway. So it wasn't a big deciding factor. Mm. Um, for me, what made a difference and what made an impact for me is whether I chose, because I had a choice when I took a job, was whether I sat idle. Or I worked hard and I, and I tried to get as much as I could within the job. So, um, I started off, my first job was at Toys R Us, you know, <laughs> first, yeah. uh, neighborhood, uh, neighborhood Toys R Us. And, um, and I started with a friend of mine. My friend wanted to also start working. She was a bit older than I. And, uh, and there was, you know, it, reflecting back, obviously there was a big difference between her experience and my experience. And my experience was, was one that was, you know, really, uh, uh, driven by, by pride. And I was very eager to learn, you know, I, I was responsible for like the bicycle, uh, uh, aisle and I had to make sure that inventory tickets were up to date and, and my, my station was clean. So I took my job and my role very seriously, maybe a bit too seriously, but you know, I, I, I took it with, um, Pride. With the level of, of, mm. of pride, exactly. Um, and, and I think that's where it really started for me. I, 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 I owned, uh, um, the responsibility, uh, that was given to me and imparted for me, it, to me. And I was getting paid for it, but I, I think that there's, for me at a young age, I felt like just because I was being paid doesn't mean that yeah. I could, you know, fly under the radar and just do what I needed to do. I felt like I should, you know, give the most because in that, circumstance when you give more you get more as an individual yes. and I was open to that uh interestingly yeah. even though I was very young and and by contrast really I looked at my friend who was you know a cashier and and she sometimes worked the floor but when she worked the floor she would run into the uh, uh break room <laughs> and just hide so she didn't even she wasn't really interested in kind of devoting or, or giving too much yeah. uh, uh, time and energy so it was yeah. an interesting kind of contrast um, and, and how she looked at work versus, versus, um, how I looked at work. And yes. so, so by the time I graduated from college, I had already worked in five different places. You know, I worked wow. at Toys R Us yes. and then I worked, I moved, I moved on to a daycare center and, uh, you know, taking care of toddlers, including diaper duty. So I'll tell you <laughs> that it was a very smelly experience, but it was a very humbling experience as well. Yes. Um, and then I tutored for some time and I went back into retail and in my final year in college, I started my professional job. I started a professional job. So before I even graduated, I already had a job secured. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, if I go back to the very beginning of the question, um, I do owe a lot to my parents for setting the example and kind of giving me the space to really grow uh, through my experience and grow my natural, I think, uh, instincts. Yes. Yeah. yes. And those experiences really expose me to different kinds of people be it customers, uh, be it coworkers, be it responsibilities and even work environment. I mean, you, it's a very big, it's a very different environment working with children and toddlers versus working in retail and selling. So, so I had that set and that exposure that really kind of, I think gave me a good, uh, um, stepping stone for, um, for, for, you know, yeah. taking my career yeah. forward. It's a learning experience that every young person should go through. And you've just had that opportunity 
to grow your personal leadership from a young age. Yes. yes. Laura, I'd love to pick up on a couple of points that you made there. Sure. Um, and by the way, I, I love the, the, I would love to use this as a quote of yours. Don't make a stigma a reality. I mean, I think I should, we should put that on every bumper sticker <laughs> in the world. But, um, I encourage it. <laughs> you know, a couple of the things that you mentioned sort of are very close, um, together. One was that you grew up mimicking characteristics of your parents. But the second thing was that somehow you were in tune to noticing your father's moral dilemmas. So when he was grappling with an issue, do I want to be involved in this or not? You, know, you, you were present there. And I think this speaks to the need of a leader to be open and honest with the people that they are leading um, so so that they can actually show this. And, and, and a near charismatic leader is going to be somebody who does that and then builds the same level of integrity and, and uh, aspiration into their followers. Is, is that sort of how you saw it? Um, I think, yes, definitely. Uh, uh, I mean, in, in looking at, in looking back, obviously at my father and, and, and having and upholding a really strong value system and, and an unwavering one at that as well. Um, there is, there is greatness to that because you're always, you know, you always know what to expect um, and you always know the the boundaries of that individual, and so um, and so you know in 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 my professional life, when that translates into my professional life, I really do uphold some of the similar values. Uh, but but one thing I think I, I do a bit differently is is sometimes there's values that you stick to and they're unwavering: honesty, integrity, being ethical. Uh, but then there's other values that maybe through time you should be a bit flexible with with how you navigate through those uh, because you know you you grow and uh, um, you grow and you mature through your professional life and sometimes those values become a bit smaller than you thought they were uh, uh, as you were you know as you were maybe in the previous ten years for example and so those values might be replaced uh, or 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 grow to be something a bit greater than that. So that's how I think I, I, I took it forward and I did it differently. And I think, you know, for the most part, my dad did avoid a lot of opportunities to your, to your point. Um, were they all valid? You know, were they really true to be against um, uh, the, his moral fiber? Definitely. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that um, is really commendable. Yes, indeed. And I look up to that. Yeah. I hope I answered your question. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's, um, <laughs> important that you look at ethical decisions and, and your role as a leader from different perspectives before you take a step forward. But before we get there, I would like also to learn from you, what is leadership? What does it mean to you? Yeah, um, I think for me, you know, there's there's been a lot of books, and I think uh, Martin was mentioning that earlier. You know, there's a lot of seminars and books and courses on leadership, and I think there's a lot to say about leadership, and 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 there's many different angles to it. I think, simply put, and really at the core of leadership is really, uh, and what it really comes down to is about how much you contribute to the people around you. 
Uh, that's that's for me the definition of leadership. Yes, there's the element of delivering. Yes, there's the element of of communication, and there's the element of of um, of, of gaining buy-in, etc. But at the core of leadership, it's really what you yourself as a leader contribute to the people that are that are working with you, and not necessarily directly under you. It could be even. Uh, uh, with with your peers as well, mm-hmm. um, and if you provide the right environment, direction, support, you really contribute to their success. And when you contribute to their success, two things happen, right? Their success translates to corporate success. Yeah, so you've essentially been able to succeed uh, uh, on the corporate level, as well as what happens is when they succeed and your interest is for them to succeed, you easily get their buy-in, you easily get their respect as a leader. Uh, and, and essentially that's, you know, success across across the board. So I think the tricky part really for, for leadership is managing uh, or balancing, you know, company and individual success. Uh, because essentially you're the conduit, right? As a leader, you're the conduit. You have a vision, you have a group of people that you want to help you realize that vision. Um, and to do that, you know, you're a conduit. So you need to ensure that there's, you know, that right level of balance so that neither one kind of falls. So that to me is, is kind of in a nutshell, what I would say leadership is. Okay. That's, um, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, everybody has their view of leadership, but it's great when you can relate it to how you developed as a person. And again, I think there's that authenticity which comes out uh, that f- the followers understand. But um, one of the areas that I'm very interested in, Lara, is how we can use our leadership skills um, to service um, underdeveloped youth around the world. Yeah, let's face it, there there's great inequity uh, around the world. How, how could we very how could we, uh, uh, do that? Interesting question. Um, I mean, if I if I, I think if I step back, and I think you know, if if we look at the underprivileged world, um, they're underprivileged uh, as a definition because they don't have the right and proper financial resources. Uh, but you always do hear these great stories uh, within these underprivileged uh, environments of people who have kind of transcended the boundaries of financial constraint to really kind of achieve and, and develop and, 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 and grow. And you always hear those stories. Um, I mean, it's not very common, but you do hear those stories. So I think it's important um, to look at those success stories and see what are the elements that that really allowed them to to be successful. And at the core of it, you always will see someone who had a vision, someone who had confidence to take on their vision, uh, was willing to take a risk, and was able to to get things done either through people or through resources. Um, and so, and so going into those underprivileged environments, I don't think so much you can rely on, you know, governments because governments are, you know, a little too high up the food chain for them to, to reach down to the, to the boroughs, I guess, uh, of these environments. So I think it's important to, to teach those individuals, uh, key skills, uh, uh, be it entrepreneurship or be it, kind of confidence and leadership so that they themselves kind of can build that change within their environment. So that, that really leads us to what is needed for those individuals to become leaders? What are the prerequisites that has to be in place? 
and it could tie in with what you've just said about your past and your upbringing but it can also be something that you've noticed through your experiences yeah so so i think we were talking earlier that leaders uh can be made and and leaders can be developed to be stronger leaders so if you look at the prerequisite of leadership i think there's two parts right there is uh, to be an effective leader one is your leadership style uh and leadership style can come in very different shapes uh and can be effective in different environments right so the trick is matching the right style with the right environment culture industry so if you take for example uh a bank you know you need a leader there that that has to be very rigid in his approach to leadership because you know th- of the responsibilities there uh and the high level of auditing and, uh, um and the kind of work that they do whereas if you take kind of the success uh, um equation for a leader in a creative space like advertising it could be the complete polar opposite So I think you know matching that balance of of the right style with the right environment is important that's I think the first part and then the second part is for me uh um almost I want to say almost cookie cut I mean it it should be standard across any leader that you see if you if you're talking about effective leadership and that's really uh building how they build their relationship in the team and the values that they practice and for me the most important i think ingredients uh um are are very typical right you need a leader that has the ability to create a vision right um because a leader without a vision um is not really a leader right so i think the ability to 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 create a vision um to see the end in sight uh that needs to be reached yeah the second part you know once you have a a vision and able to be kind of a visionary is is getting your leaders or your team to really get on board and and that that means gaining buy-in it doesn't mean top down communication go and get it done it means that you need to get their buy-in because at the end of the day in order for you to get your team to be committed uh uh and enthusiastic and happy about what they're working on you need them to be on the same page and you need to gain their buy-in right um and you know i think by contrast if you just do a top down approach you really will have you'll you'll be challenged with kind of motivating the team and getting the team to deliver with the right level of enthusiasm and commitment so so i think really the the buy-in is the bigger element is being able to sell your vision and gain the buy-in and even potentially change or adjust that vision based on feedback that you get from your team as long as you know you're open to hearing and 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 flexible in that nature i think the third element is definitely ensuring that your team can work effectively so effective leadership means allowing your team to work effectively and that and that translates into you know giving them the right empowerment and motivation so that they get you know the right space and the right authority to to deliver on what you're asking them to deliver um and keeping the lines so so that's and in a nutshell that is really what you're how you're interacting with your with your team uh and then there's the another element which is communication and i think communication comes in a lot of different forms yeah but for a leader uh to drop and leave and come back at the end is a failing equation i think for success i think a leader and his role like i said earlier as a conduit is to ensure that you know um he's able to support the team in the right way so 
be ensuring that they have the right kind of uh, uh, communication level to give you coaching, uh, um, uh, redirection, and even for celebrating. I think a lot of leaders sometimes forget to celebrate. So it's important to have that open communication that, that happens between teammates. Um, and I think that's a recipe for success. Uh, and that kind of handles the part of managing teams and, and, and setting a vision. And, and there's this one last part that I think uh, sometimes is left off. And, and I personally sometimes forget to do this. And this, you know, this discussion that we're having today kind of had me remember uh, that, that one really important element of effective leadership is self-assessment. Yeah. It's going back evaluating yourself and your performance um, and examining where you can better support your team uh, and 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 sometimes even adapting accordingly you know adaptability is really important because the the format and the in the you know the the team uh, composition obviously varies uh, based on the projects or based on you know based on what you're doing so I think adaptability as a, as a leadership is very important as well yeah. So you really spoke about uh, most of the things we cover in new charismatic leadership in terms of the prerequisites. If you remember, Martin, we spoke about self-awareness, vision and how a leader has to have their own personal vision before they can actually help others or even implement the organizational vision. And the third one was the empathy part, Martin. Yes, thanks. I'd, I'd, I'd like to dig into the self-assessment piece a little bit as well, um, mm. you know, because... Okay. <laughs> In in our roles as as uh, you know executive coach um, or leadership coach, uh, I get a situation where you get people particularly of very high technical prowess. Mm. So, for example, senior doctors, senior flight crew, you know, captains, um, folks that are uh, tremendous engineers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know they've they've risen up the ranks and they clearly have all of the leadership attributes that are there, um, but their self assessment almost becomes negative and they begin to develop what's called imposter sy uh, syndrome, right? Um, where they don't feel that they're qualified to be there, but they don't know how they're leading. Uh, you know how how can we guard against that? Because I think all of us have probably felt that at some stage <laughs> in our career. And I laugh because uh, I can relate in all honesty. Um, and I think honestly, you know, you, you said something here where, where it's, it may be only applicable to the technical realm, but I think it also could be applied across the board. Um, and I think this has something to do with confidence and your confidence in leadership and, um, and who you envision and see as being a role model. Uh, and oftentimes the role models are the Bill Gates you know, of the world, which are the one in a, in, one in a trillion, right? Uh, and I think that that's, that, you know, that we need to correct for ourselves. Um, it's, it's, you know, putting that standard or, or that maybe, uh, role model to be someone that is really more achievable, that isn't the one in a trillion, that is, you know, the neighbor or, or the colleague that has been equally as successful. Um, and, you know, people have the perception that leadership has to work perfectly well. Uh, and as a leader, I need to know everything. I need to be skilled in everything in order to lead. Otherwise, I am unable to lead. Um, and, and that's, that's also is, is an incorrect perception, uh, of what a good leader is. A good leader is being able to self-assess, know also where your technical weaknesses are and, and get people to support you in those areas. So for example, for me, I may not be the most detail oriented person. Um, 
I don't like to dive down too deep, you know. Uh, and so I have people in my team that can help me in that area. Uh, and their strength is in that. So we're able to, again, balance one another. So those are two elements. And I think the third element is, is you know, it's the responsibility of that leader's leader, be it the chairman of the board or be it the CEO or whoever it may be, to take on that responsibility to ensure that there's always that, you know, that one-on-one -on -one connection and, and uh, um, communication to, to give that person the confidence that they need to, to, to under, or to even understand what position they have in the organization when it comes to performance. Oh, yes. So we, we really do need some regular everyday heroes, don't we? We need, we need the, the person up the street who's done something phenomenal. Um, yeah. that, that's who we should be, uh, benchmarking against. Yes, indeed. Exactly. Uh, and then, yep. of course, we, we won't be imposters because there are lots of them. And if we just look <laughs> for them, we'll exactly. find them. So very yes, good. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, now I would like to ask you a question related to your own experiences uh, as a leader that stood out for you. And what did you learn? I think for me, you know, there's always learning opportunities. But I think um, I think for me, where I would probably need to focus on and learn more about is through my people. Uh, you know, there's a lot to learn from, from your leadership and your management, but I think that there's a lot, obviously, to learn from from your own team members. And, and you sometimes forget as a leader that, um, you know, there is a group of people and there's a group of professionals that also are, you know, are developing themselves and building themselves. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a, a small story here about, uh, uh, you know, the opportunity or the openness to learn and to self-assess that I'd like to share with Please. you. Uh, um, and, and I think... It, Sometimes it's really a hard pill to swallow, you know. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I had a I had a colleague of mine who was working uh, as part of the team, and he was, you know, we were working on a really big project, and he was very uncharacteristically like completely demotivated. And this was the go-to guy, you know. This was the guy that you could rely on for anything, you know, menial, Hugh. It didn't matter. You want him to go talk to, you know, the most senior of individuals. He could do it. You can. You want him to talk to his peers. He can do it. And I felt this kind of level of disengagement, and I and I wondered why. So I took him aside and I said, you know, what's going on, man? <laughs> what what what's happening? You know. Um, and he basically pointed the finger right back at me. Oh. <laughs> and so I was shocked. Yep, I was shocked. It was a surprise. Um, I didn't even, and again, I tell you self-assessment and I say it, but maybe I don't do it enough. And I think that, you know, after this experience, it's been, it's been a, it's been a good experience for me because I, I realized the value of self-assessment. Um, and I listened and I think I agreed with him for the most part. And it was really because, and so he, he was kind of explaining to me that I had, you know, this is a big project and he was very happy and working. So I already did the vision. We have the buy-in. But what I did was I walked all over his toes uh, while he was kind of taking over the creative process and the development part of the process. And I kind of even reworked some of his work and I, and, and in, in turn, I kind of demotivated him. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I sat there again and I reassessed myself and I think I, I learned, you know, a, a few things. One is, you know, you can achieve great work, but you can fail as a leader. Yeah. And, and I felt like I failed him as a leader in that particular instance. Um, uh, and so 
the end in sight as a leader is not only delivering, it's also delivering, but also ensuring that your team is, is, is you know, it's, it's a balance of team satisfaction and engagement and, and participation as well as delivery. That is so great. Um, Thank you. I think the second thing is, um, and I had mentioned it is, you know, allow, allow yourself as a leader to set the vision, but allow your team, give your team the space to build towards that vision. And, and, you know, you obviously will have discussions and, and, and kind of reassess the road. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's many ways to get to a vision and to achieve a vision. And you should allow your people to, to pick the road that is most, most comfortable for them. It doesn't necessarily have to be your road, yes. you know? Um, yeah. And I think the last thing, um, and I think we talk about it is, is the respecting individuality in your team members. Um, you know, some team members, you know, so we had a big team and he was the only one who, who was demotivated across the team. So he needed more independence. He needed more, uh, creative space. The other team members were fine. They were working. They, they appreciated the support. So it's really important to kind of separate or important to give people their individual needs versus kind of a a, a, a group vision yeah it, it's funny it, it does remind me of a situation where um somebody who was quite junior to me asked me once um they said you know i'm i'm making too many mistakes i'm never going to get to the position that you're in and i re- and i responded to them i said no i don't think you've made enough yet that's yeah. what you're not getting you know very you, true. you have we all learn from this don't we and um you know, g- giving people the opportunity to fail in a sort of protected environment, ideally, um, is, is a great way of, of uh, teaching because, let's face it, we all, we yeah. all learn from our failures. Yeah. But um, so, uh, but Lara, what, what really would in- interest me is, you know, when you get faced with a difficult decision, one that you feel is going to go against what you believe in, um, how do you approach it? I mean, this is not something generally that you're going to use it spot in instantly yeah. and say, Oh, no, I'm not going to touch that. I mean, it, it's never that simple, is it? How, how do you go through that process of deciding yeah. whether something is in fact uh, that's a, um, truly against that's your That's an values? interesting question. And, and this is in the core of, of new charismatic leadership because we talk about ethical decisions and, yeah. and how a leader can. Yeah, and making tough decisions as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. I think you start with the black and white, you know, what's my values, what are not my values, you know, and if it kind of sits somewhere in the gray, um, I think you have to assess it from, from, from the perspective of what you believe is right or wrong. Um, and then take that decision forward, even if it means that you need to uh, work harder, even if it means that, you know, you may have to uh, rework, but I, for me, I think it's it's always very important to stick to to your values and, and your ethics and your integrity because the second that you take a shortcut for the sake of taking a shortcut, then you have lo- lost your credibility not only to yourself but also you know for the people that you're leading uh, and and the example that you're that you're putting forward. So I, I mean I don't think that there's an easy answer for this. I mean in the sense of yeah I don't think that there's an, necessarily an easy answer for this, but I think it's always you know, stick to your instincts and stick to your values. And, and, and in that, at least you'll be professionally satisfied uh, that you've done what you can um, to do the right thing and to deliver in the right fashion, right? Um, 
for me, I, I, I take pride in delivering something that I've done with the right level of integrity. Uh, I wouldn't be, I would be ashamed, I think, if I delivered something and knew that uh, it was inaccurate or it was a, a, it was a reflection of information that wasn't actually accurate or I got to that point uh, cheating or, or, I don't know, taking advantage of people. I, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't be able to kind of um, uh, um, deal with that. So I think it's always, for me, a, a question of can I live with myself if I you know, uh, if I made this decision or not. Yeah, and, and this goes back really to the core values that in your position where you have to deal with teams and a huge organization, it gets even more complicated. Complex, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you almost deal with that on a day-to-day basis. So I think, you know, as, uh, you know, when you first start working, you're kind of building yourself. So you're part of the working, you know, uh, environment, you know, um, before you actually enter into management and leadership. And so, you know, you have a lot of things to look into, look up to, but you're also kind of shaping yourself. And so by the time you get to a manager or to a leadership role, uh, it becomes almost second nature, you know, making decisions. You don't even actually calculate it. That's why I kind of stumbled when Martin asked. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think about it too much, but it, it, in the bigger, you know, um, decisions that you would have to make and more complex decisions, I think, you know, you would have to kind of rationalize your decision based on, you know, how would you feel at the end of that, uh, uh, decision? Um, and if it is in fact, you know, against your morals and your values and your integrity. You don't take the shortcut. So what does that mean in, in reality? You know, um, I've been uh, very blessed in my career to have worked in environments uh, and for companies that have been very well aligned with my, um, with my values. So I haven't really had too many instances where uh, I've been faced with an ethical dilemma. Uh, but, uh, I did have one uh, that I think really uh, changed the course of my career. So I suppose it was a blessing in disguise. So I was working in consumer research for some time um, and the company that I was working for was bought out by uh, an international uh, competitor. Um, and as a result of the acquisition, we had to move out of our practice, our culture and kind of the environment that we were used to into this new or a newer version of, I guess, uh, this new uh, company. And so um, the first project that I led under this company was a uh, product taste test where, you know, we asked people to test a product and, and to give their opinion, and then that would help the client um, better understand uh, people's preferences. And as a result, they would, you know, shape up their products before they launch it into the market. And so we, you know, we rolled out the project into, uh, into the field. And when the results came back in, I noticed that there was something, you know, something wrong with the data. Uh, and as I investigated, uh, further, I basically confirmed that there was uh, a good deal of cheating and fraud, uh, and that essentially the research results were forged. Um, and in fact, there was absolutely no research, uh, or no field work had been done. It was, uh, you know, people, taking in uh, the questionnaires, just filling, the, filling, it in and filling it in themselves. So um, I was livid. I was very upset. And uh, I raised the case to management expecting to discuss what we can do for the client to correct this error that we had you know, uh, caused. Uh, and to my surprise, uh, management uh, um, recommended I basically hide uh, 
the findings um, and just, you know, continue uh, with the research and, and providing forged results. And so, you know, you have to kind of keep in mind also that the client here is dependent on this taste test in order to make a multi-million dollar decision on whether to, to, to launch a product into the market or not and what kind of position they have against their competitors. And so, you know, I was really appalled to say the least. And, and it was for me, uh, uh, a line that I would never consider to cross. Um, and so, um, I did obviously didn't follow the recommendations of management. Um, I was very firm that I was going to be very open with the client. Um, and so we, you know, had a session with the client. We explained to them that <laughs> what had happened. Uh, they weren't very happy. Uh, they promised that they would never give us business again. But I was okay with that. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, their, their, their right to do so. Um, and soon after I, I found another, uh, opportunity and left. Um, and, and again, I think it wasn't an environment that uh, I had been in for long, but once I noticed that it was not aligned with my values, um, and it was, uh, values that it was, that was not in one individual or one manager, it was a shared kind of, uh, practice across the organization to do these kinds of things, um, and, and to not be truthful with the client. And so I decided this was not a place for me uh, and not an environment that I wanted to contribute to uh, 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 by any means. So uh, I left very mm. soon after. Yes, you just have to stand up for it. Yeah. And, and the reason I ask this yeah, is because you live in a Middle Eastern environment where you, you are surrounded by the culture itself. How do you define your moral yes, values? Yes. And, and I think... It, I mean, very good point. I think you find it anywhere, by the way. I mean, I, I've, I have worked in, in the U.S. for some time as well. So you do find a lot of this DNA uh, um, uh, across the board, really. Um, so, you know, I, I've been dealing with it since, since I was young, um, since even my first job. I can, I can remember, you know, being faced with ethical dilemmas. I see someone... For example, stealing, you know, <laughs> what do you do? He's my buddy. Do I report? Do I not report? Um, you know, you see people that are in need, uh, um, uh, potentially kind of, you know, trying to get unauthorized discounts, right? So you, you have to make those decisions all the time. And it, it, it when you're faced at a, at a young age, you just, you know, you kind of start shaping up, you know, what is right and what is wrong and you kind of, uh, it's about the core values that bring into the workspace. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I agree. This is certainly not limited to any one particular place in the world. Um, you know, my, my experience has been global, but, uh, you know, I can assure you that I've, I've come across wrongdoing and, you know, I've been in the unfortunate position of having to uh, bring that to light a couple of times. It's not easy uh, for anybody to do. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, what it taught me was an interesting facet about just leadership versus neo-charismatic leadership. And that is, you know, if somebody is actually on a bad path and their followers agree with that bad path, then they would see themselves as being valid leaders and the group that was following them would see themselves as valid followers. Um, so, you know, leadership, of course, can be misused. <laughs> um, but the, it, it's basically because that group has a different 
set of values to mine and I have to make sure that I distance myself or, or take take the appropriate measures you know I can't be seen the, the more the more people that look up to me the less I can be seen to even be entertaining folks that have an opinion that is 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 vehemently different so not an opinion wrong word that has a value that is vehemently different from mine okay opinions yes that's fine we can have uh, opposing opinions that's not a problem yeah. and i like what you said yeah. there martin because i think uh, if you look at an individual's career from the time that they start until you know they start taking more senior roles the way in which they go to apply for jobs um is very different you know when you're when you're younger you're just looking for maybe you know opportunities to learn financial package uh etc but when you become uh, a a senior at a senior level a, a leader a manager uh, at least for me what i look for is not necessarily let's say the industry uh or the or you know, of course the environment but not necessarily the industry or the type of 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 uh work that the uh organization is is into i look more at the leader himself mm. because if the leader is aligned with my values then i think that there i can really progress and make an impact in the organization and if there is a conflict with the leader and myself then it's not a place for me to be in um so i think you know as you grow and you mature uh these elements become more apparent uh for you and you and you start aligning you should at least start aligning yourself with the leader of of an organization and ensuring that they're that they're um that they're fully aligned yeah, in that sense. That is really good to hear and thank you for the comment. I think we're approaching the end of this episode. Anything else you want to tell us before we conclude this beautiful journey? Um for me I just wanted to thank you for having me. Uh I really enjoyed my time sharing uh my experiences, my thoughts, my ideas. Um and I think in preparing uh for this session it really allowed me to again kind of reexamine myself uh, and take a take a an assessment of myself and and i think it's very important for leaders to have these open discussions and these and these and these kind of gateways to discuss leadership and the importance of leadership yeah. because you know you you tend to forget sometimes i mean ideally you know we're sitting we're talking about the ideal way to lead and and what leadership means but if you don't have these conversations enough uh you sometimes tend to forget um uh the importance of leadership yeah. um so thank you so much for having me i really wish you all the best with your book and, and future podcasts um and i i thank you for having me martin any final words no just to say thank you clara this has been fantastic um i've really enjoyed it and uh you know i'm sorry i gave you some tough questions but you came <laughs> out beautifully so that taught me <laughs> <laughs> yes. So to end this episode, I really thank you Lara Khairullah for being here with us and I thank you Martin for uh, the questions and the interactions. Yeah, I look forward to airing this episode. Thank you. Goodbye. Garda and Martin. Hope you enjoyed this episode. There is more information available at neocharismaticleadership.org. And if you would like to discuss coaching or training for yourself or your team, you can contact Garda and Martin through the website. We look forward to your participation next week. Until then, goodbye.